0: Sunshine, satellite story podcast mythology mashups and odd apologues for young audiences i am your host amanda louise moving you through the realms of malicious monsters meritorious heroes through the practice of real and imagined magic shining a light into the darkness and conjuring something meaningful out of chaos Uh uh-oh it's chapter 13 Moiety had been so firmly calcified into a selfish princess that it took the heat from the gates of hell and the pressure of the deepest trench in the ocean to soften her soul enough to be released from its binding mold. In so doing, she had, with the help of her friend, the Leviathan, defeated the ancient Nidhog Worm, the titan tapeworm responsible for draining the roots of the World Tree of Gratitude. However, we must not forget that the only reason that Moiti is still alive and having this adventure is that the Viking volunteered to take her place, absorbing the wrath of the chameleon's curse. In chapter 13, we go back in time to follow the Viking's vision. And our quote is from a book called Imagine Heaven, which is a meta-analysis of experiences of people who have had near-death experiences. And it's written by John Burke. We don't feel fully known, understood, or valued by others or even ourselves. That's why we labor to prove ourselves, to get people to notice us, to make a name for ourselves, or try to be someone else. Imagine how, in heaven, all of this gets replaced with an unbelievable clarity of who God created you to be. Fully yourself, fully unique, for a unique relationship with your creator. Akeda began to die as he absorbed the chameleon's curse from Moiti's body. The glow worms surrounded him. We cannot stop the curse from killing you, but we can slow it down so that you will not immediately die. Ikeda felt the venom spreading through his limbs with unmitigated crushing pain. The glowworms were overflowing with their organic juices. They carried the Viking into a spreading live oak tree and began working quickly to encapsulate the Viking in silk, a process that would curb the rise of death's steady tide. The last thing the Viking saw was entitled Princess Moiety disembarking in his boat, Akeda closed his eyes and slept. His spirit awoke and walked through his dreams. He was in a crowded city, surrounded by masculine women and feminine men. The landscape was defined by hard angles and stone. People walked into and out of each other's personal space without greeting. There were few children and very few aged only a sea of family-less persons moving without eye contact like cold fish and dark water. Every person had a number attached to them. Akeda wandered through the streets until he saw a woman standing outside what appeared to be a tavern. She was clearly upset and clearly in contrast with the rest of the stoic environment. She did not have a number and was therefore not allowed inside of the tavern. She had two small children, a girl and a boy. Akeda went inside the tavern to see what was wrong. Inside the dim lounge, there was a bath occupying the majority of the room. It was lit from the inside with a bluish light. It was surrounded by tables where patrons were drinking. It would not have been so strange if it had not been full of wiggling scarabs. Some of the patrons were stuffing the scarabs in their pockets and bags. Some of them were up to their elbows playing with the bugs. Others were sitting neck deep in the bug bath. Despite his disdain for these curious habits of the natives, the Viking was intrigued. While Ikeda watched, a beautiful woman brought him a drink. He drank. The mother outside continued to pound on the glass window. She seemed to be calling out to a big man who was happily up to his beard in the bug bath. The man was numbly ignoring her. Midway through his drink, Ikeda realized that he was not feeling half as repulsed by the scarabs as he had been. In fact, they were quite mesmerizing. Some of them appeared to be made of gold. Now he understood why the patrons were putting them in their pockets. The smiling woman reappeared with another drink. He had not even finished the first drink. Something about the woman banging on the glass out front made him distrust the women inside. He finished the first drink while he watched the scarabs glistening valuably in the blue light. They were so smooth, he wanted to take some with him. Ikeda imagined he might be able to trade some of them for other goods on the journey home. He approached the blue glowing bath for a closer look. Akeda realized that the bearded man was not wearing clothes, and the woman outside was his wife. Please come home, she cried. It's been ten years and we need you. If you would just go to the council and get a number and come inside, you would not be alone, he retorted, and he called another woman to join him. She took off her clothes in plain view of everyone in the tavern and climbed into the bug bath. No one seemed to think this was strange or embarrassing. The woman only received cursory glances, and the man received no rebuff. Everyone was numb. Akeda realized that the more the patrons drank the beverages at the tavern, the more the scarabs appeared to them to be made of gold. He spewed the lukewarm drink out of his mouth. It was then that Ikeda realized that the bugs not only were not gold, but they were also slowly eating the people playing with them. The man in the bug bath pulled himself up to resituate, and Ikeda saw that his body was a corpse full of infected holes tunneled out by the wretched insects. He staggered out of the tavern. The woman stopped banging on the glass and calling to her husband. She left. He hurled curses at her as she walked away. The evil stopped at the door and fell lifeless to the floor. Akeda continued to walk through his dreams. The water in the city, which had been scarce, began to dry up. The people feared. A great leader arose. He spoke eloquently, as if in the tongue of angels, but he had no love. He spoke of unity and having all things in common. He heralded a new classless raceless, genderless society where everyone would be equally the same. He used his beautiful words to unify the people in a great project to dig down into the water table and bring water up to the surface so that everyone would be able to share it in common. Never again would a person be able to have more water than his neighbor. Everything would be equal. Every scrap of currency in the city was used for the great leader's project. Ikeda watched the project completed, the water flowed up out of the ground and spilled onto the waterways of the city, and the people were satisfied for a time. The great leader made sure that everyone received no more than what he determined was fair. And after a time, the great leader grew old, and the water stopped flowing. A handful of water was sold for a homestead, and men began to eat mud, Gray men in gray clothes came into the city, claiming that the gods are angry. They said that everyone is born with living water inside of them, and that once you found the living water that was already inside of you, that you would never thirst again. They sold books with blank pages and said that they could only be read by the Enlightened. People bought the books, and although a few people admitted to not being able to read them, most people said that the books told them how to find the living water. They looked in the mountains, near the sea, and in universities. No one could agree on what the books really said. People started to say that whatever your book told you must be right for you personally because your truth was beautifully unique to you. This did not satisfy the people's need for water, but still men continued ikeda continued to walk through his dreams the hard angular dwellings crumbled into a desert men and boys who were old enough to hold weapons gathered into gangs and women mostly disappeared children appeared on the roads they were hungry with wild eyes communicating profound agony where once was a cold indifference there was now pervasive violence Gray langur monkeys wandered wherever they willed, taking as their cravings saw fit. No one opposed them because they were considered to be holy, the ghosts incarnate of ancient ancestors, and not to be displeased. Akeda wandered... Disconsolately through this future wasteland for what felt like months, and finally, he came once again to the living, breathing ocean and its guiding stars, and a hush fell across the galaxy as if the conductor had appeared on the stage. And then the stars began to sing. It was the most creatively coherent piece of music that the Viking had ever heard. He felt that he had always known it, but years later, he would struggle to remember the tune. Only the sense of deep satisfaction that it elicited. All the stars joined into one bright morning star, and a voice like rushing water told him that he was in the country of his fathers. "'Welcome home, Akeda. You are accepted to enter into joy.' The violently burning star spoke in a still small voice. Akeda looked farther up and farther in, past the stars, and saw a city built into a range of mountains. He realized now that all the hills that he had ever known were just crumbled down, shadowy carcasses, and he understood why men intuitively give each peak a name. When a mountain is what a mountain is supposed to be, it is a dynamic organism that supports a peopled city the way a body supports a soul. Every one of these mountains was alive. The speaking star became a man, and Ikeda was standing with him, in, of all places, a library. The man was plain, not unlike himself in stature, but entirely unlike him in presence. He pulled a book from the shelves. The man smiled at the book as though it were a great masterpiece. Who wrote this book, Akeda asked the man. You did, the man replied. Akeda looked in the book and saw a chronological record of his life, it included illuminated illustrations, and an appendix that listed his motivations. Akita was not even consciously aware of most of the unflattering contents of the appendix, but he had to admit it was accurate. He felt embarrassed that the man had access to read this book and that it was in a public library. The man offered no condemning judgment. If you are ready, you can stay. You can also go back. I offer no promise that going back will be free of suffering. But I can promise that you will ease the suffering of others, thereby giving meaning to your own pain. The Viking looked in the back of the book. There were blank pages. Not even half of the book had been written. He felt sad to think that it might not contain the words that it could have held. He looked out at the living mountains and the city growing on it. There were adventures here, unlike any he had ever known. There were things to learn and places to create with unlimited resources for advancement in science, art, and dance. The people were healthy and vibrant. He felt like he was home, like he was resting at a blazing hearth during a winter festival. Akeda turned around and looked back on the stars. The little blue earth looked like a small candle flame in a sea of other lights. Its little glow hardly seemed to have a chance with the evil darkness pressing in all around it. What will happen to us? Akata asked the man. Look at that field, the man replied, and he pointed to a wheat farm on earth. Akata could see the field and the laborers at this distance as if he were standing right next to them. This is a disaster. There are more weeds than wheat growing. I am sorry, sir. I would have alerted you sooner, but when they sprouted, they looked exactly the same as the wheat sprouts. The dark brown man with leather hands was a laborer, but he hardly looked different than the field owner, a man who also appeared to be acquainted with struggle and sweat. I just don't know what happened. I was sure that we planted good seed. I inspected it myself. I accept full responsibility." My enemy has done this, the owner replied, not you, my friend. Should we burn the field and start over? No, I had anticipated that this would happen, and I'm ready. My men and I could work overtime and pull up the weeds the laborer offered. The field owner looked thoughtfully over his field. It was his father's field. The laborer's offer was tempting, No, he finally replied, we will let the weeds grow up with the wheat. The wheat will be ready to harvest right before the weeds are ready to release their seeds. At harvest time, we will gather the wheat into the barn, and we will bind the weeds together and burn them. Akeda looked back at the star man. He was the same as the man as the field owner. He looked back to the earth and saw Moiety. She was returning from her own battle and looking for him in earnest. The first glimmer of caring about something beside herself was just now opening her eyes. She was alone and needing to cross an ocean to get back to a place that was not even a real home. Akeda did not need a reason beyond knowing it was the right thing to do to do it. He knew he would return home to the mountains again one day. Thank you for listening to this Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast. This is an original story by Amanda Louise Van Stratum. All rights reserved. For more original stories and poetry, including links to purchase text copies of my books, please visit me at sunshinesatellite.com. If you've enjoyed this story, please let me know by leaving me a review and rating in the comment section. I hope to hear from you soon.